Hello everybody, Rod Murray here. Just before we get episode 89 underway, a quick reminder about our inaugural golf course study tour coming up in May. The venue is the outstanding 36-hole complex at Barnboogle Dunes in Tasmania, and the format is pretty simple. Three days of golf, including teeing it up with Mike Clayton, and lots of discussion about what makes Barnboogle so special during a live state-of-the-game recording on the Saturday night. Mike Clayton was, of course, co-designer of the original Dunes course, and this is your chance to not only hear his unique insight into the history of the project, but ask some questions about the course and anything else to do with golf as well. As an added bonus, 20 years on the European tour means Clayton has some amazing, entertaining and funny stories to tell about an era when the game had less money, but more great characters. It all costs less than $1,500 Australian, so check the show notes for a link to more information and book your place today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 89 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is politics and golf and where the two intersect. You might recall back in November we recorded an episode with Middle East expert Arthur McMillan about this week's Saudi, Saudi Arabia International and what promised back then to be a controversial event has delivered in spades. Bryson DeChambeau making some remarks overnight that have not gone down well on social media. That coming on the heels of a blog by Eddie Pepperell early in the week explaining why he'd chosen to play and it has to be said, that piece didn't go down particularly well either. Don't panic though folks, it's not all heavy duty political chatter. We'll also have some heavy duty golf chatter with news this week Augusta National's lengthening of the fifth hole is complete. I'm extremely interested to get the thoughts of my co-hosts on that and also just what is it that we golfers want from the rules? Almost universal condemnation of the European tour over the Tong Lee incident last Sunday players and analysts calling for common sense to prevail and intent to be considered in such situations. Many of them the same commentators and analysts who are against intent being considered when it comes to the anchoring bang. What a mess we're going to wade into there. So without further ado, let's get to it. Joining me to discuss all this and more from the US writer, blogger, analyst, architect, critic, and the list goes on, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, am I imagining it or is golf on a weekly basis in 2019 already running on the news red line? It's been relentless so far and it's only the 1st of February. (laughs) We We knew the new rules would institute a few um uh, would kick in a few of these these things that that were looming and the fact that there was no real data testing of these new rules i think it made it inevitable and uh, i'm not going to say we predicted that on the show but we i think we anticipated that so it adds it has it, it's adding some zest to the beginning of the year february 1 it's february 1 <laughs> this is where we are already so it's fantastic from here in australia touring professional turned architect columnist commentator caddy mentor and more i think victorian sports hall of fame member i better clarify that mike clayton clates was the game this exciting when you played it's just never ending at the moment isn't it it is well yeah it's always exciting you know that but um at least now we all know where the line is when it comes to standing behind your man so <laughs> Yes, indeed. We'll come to how to... Did I get that right? Are you Victorian Sports Hall of Fame? I remember you getting... I don't mean to check that before I read it out. I'm pretty sure you're in this Vic Sports Hall of Fame, aren't you? I was in that, but Peter Thompson's in that, and everyone's a long way below him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it doesn't mean you're <laughs> at the top of the list. 
There are kind of two levels in that. He's, he's on one level. <laughs> on there's the Peter Thompson Hall of Fame, then there's the Victorian Sports Hall of Fame. Let's get down to it. Saudi Arabia is, of course, the news of the week. Jeff, you've been pretty outspoken about it. Lots of people have. Um, I guess we, a bit like you were saying with the rules, we always knew this was going to be controversial. Just on the broader picture, do you think it's been, in the end, a positive for the European Tour? Lots and lots and lots of press. They say there's no such thing as bad press. Do you reckon that's true? I don't see how it could be a positive. Uh, and, and look, we knew they weren't going to cancel it. I just am astounded uh, that that uh, Keith Pelly and then some smart people like Bryce and DeChambeau and Eddie Pepperell, two players that we, we've we uh, come to rely on for a little deeper uh, thought process and approach to the game, uh, has said the things they've said and, and that Keith Pelly couldn't even entertain and, and just crack the door open a little that, uh, you know, just throw out a, I understand why people might have a problem with this. Uh, and he just, he just, he, he couldn't do that. And when I hear that kind of absolute, uh, dedication to the cause, it's just that, that to me, uh, is something that a lot of people pick up on and maybe it doesn't click initially, but they think about it a little bit more and, and think, wow, he's, that's really sold out. Um, you know, if you does that make sense? Does that sound reasonable that you you, you show some sign of understanding the issues uh, that that it helps soften the blow a little? Well, it does to me. But is it a, is that a defined strategy? I would imagine that some very smart people sat around a table in a room and ultimately came up with this notion to Pelly of stand your ground rather than. For whatever right. reasons they decided to do that, but but some smart people have decided that that's the policy. I'm not sure why. I wonder maybe the Saudi regime insisted on that. That was part of the deal, perhaps. I'm not sure. But you're right. It's an interesting choice because you would think that if you were going to run the line of uh, sport and politics don't mix, that what we're trying to do here is sort of form a bridge between, you know, obviously a regime that a lot of people find distasteful, trying to help bring them into the modern world. If you're going to run all those sorts of lines, you could, but he's clearly chosen not to, as you said, and you'd have to think that's a deliberate decision. That's not a position he's taking back. So, so sure, that's interesting, sure. isn't that's, it? That's Yeah, that's President Trump's philosophy. That was his philosophy before becoming president, that that, that you just never admit error, you, you stay positive, mm. and you just forge and 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 forge ahead and and that's that was his philosophy as a as a marketer as a businessman so increasingly there are people who are who are doing that um and i just it's just this case is so so um it's just such a it's just an awful uh regime that you i i suppose he would like to leave the country with his his head on and maybe that's <laughs> it's really just a fear factor situation but um, but but again, some of the things that you see coming from players that, um, and I would I, I it, it it speaks to it's also really not a, been a great week for agents um, in in not clearly having prepped players uh, on some of the things you just simply just, just do not don't say <laughs> do not say <laughs> uh, indeed we'll come to the players uh, in a moment. And speaking of players, I said on a different podcast last week. I think I mentioned Paul Casey's name as one player being in the field. In fact, Paul Casey is completely not in the field. I didn't know that. I had a bit of a brain. He never brain. was. Never was. Never wanted to be. Has, in his, fact, uh, been the opposite of being in the field. So, And he's clarified yeah, that. He, and I apologize for making that mistake last week. I well, no, 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 no. Wait a second. No, you, you shouldn't apologize. You, 
he was announced. He was listed. Oh, was um, he? Casey. Yes. Yes. His agents uh, uh, committed him uh, apparently without his knowledge. Oh. Um, they are no longer his agents. Well, I'll stand by my apology because I had certainly read the story that he so, said he wasn't playing uh, because of his ties well, to we, UNICEF. We, no, we, before I, I said believe it, so. we, we expressed maybe on the pre-show our disappointment because uh, we thought, wow, if well, Paul Casey, I mean, this is one of the most thoughtful players mm. out there who reads, who, who uh, has, has got this association with UNICEF that's, that's genuine and um, driven by a desire to, to do good things, not a financial relationship mm. uh, that, that benefits him. And, and we were disappointed. Well, it turns out that um, so was he. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, he found, when he found out. Bouquet to Casey, brickbats to some other players. Clates, it's the players I want to talk to you about. One line of thinking says this is all the European tour's fault for putting these players in this position where they've got to answer these difficult questions about why they're playing in Saudi Arabia and all the politics that goes with that. And you might be able to defend that line if it weren't for a couple of things. Let's take them separately. Bryson Desham Slow, as he's become known by many, said, we believe after the prime, there's a clip on Twitter of it, uh, of him saying that the European Tour is doing a wonderful thing in growing the game uh, in a place like Saudi Arabia, which then gets to show off that what a beautiful place it is to the rest of the world. That's pretty inflammatory stuff, oh. you would think, Clates, from a player. There's no need for him to say that, was there? What do you think's going no. on there? Well, there are no spectators there. I mean, there is, 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 there a, is there even a game in Saudi Arabia? There's I wouldn't have thought so. Game. There is a golf course there. but They built it for this tournament, though, didn't they? Only finished it last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, didn't they, didn't they, didn't they play a Challenge Tour event there last year, maybe, or the year before? But I don't recall. Either way, I, I think you I could certainly say it's not, a popu- it's not a popular sport in Saudi Arabia, no. if we could put it that way. Um, yeah, and so, there's no need for the Tour to go there. Uh, you know, it, was a, it was a bad decision before the Khashoggi murder, but even worse after and. And the notion that sport and politics don't mix is just a feeble excuse for the reality that they clearly do. I mean, Hitler and the Olympics and Carlos and Smith and you know, Papa Segolem in South Africa being presented his trophy outside in the rain because he was coloured and wasn't allowed inside the clubhouse. And, you know, there have been any number of instances where sport and politics are intertwined and sport does good things in changing politics. Hmm. So the notion, you know, it's just a feeble excuse that I'm a golfer, not a politician. I mean, you know. It's a, it's a safe line to run, though, and DeChambeau's chosen not to run it, which, and as Jeff points out, he's an intelligent guy. You, I, I like Pelly and his stance that he's taking. You'd think Bryson thought about that before, and it didn't feel like he got caught off guard, um, which is just bizarre to me why he would do that. Yeah. Well, and, and Rose, you know, I've, I've heard so many great things about Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, that's way more tone deaf than what Bryson said. Yeah, I think. That's like, uh, uh, how can uh, you possibly come out with that line? Yeah. Somebody, somebody in Team Rose would have got a butt kicking over that. Somebody's let that quote yeah. go out unedited. The one I suppose that a lot of people also found surprising, Jeff, was Eddie Pepperell. Now he's clearly one of the more thoughtful players. Writes an interesting blog. We've spoken about Eddie before. I think we nominated back in November. I think it might have been Clades that said, "Well, you know that the smart guys like Pepperell won't play." Not only is he playing, Jeff, he wrote a blog explaining, justifying, take your pick, <laughs> depends where you stand, on being there. What was your take on that and the reaction to it, which was pretty strong from a lot of people? Yeah, the uh, I think the killer line was uh, uh, the, the, the ending where uh, 
um, that, that somehow the, the regime is trying to um, change with the times and, and this um, uh, this golf tournament, uh, you know, maybe we, we're, we're helping them by uh, being there and helping them come around. And if we don't show up, then then we're 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 making it harder for them. It's um, really uh, I mean, he was clearly torn and conflicted. So at least there was that. That was something that was a positive. But um, so do we congratulate he, him for putting he, he wheeling out world ranking points? I don't know. Well, I mean, when you hide behind, I've got to get points. You know, when you there's there's two go tos now. It's world ranking points and growing the game. And I, I, the good news I think in this is that the growth game phrase may <laughs> it may die this this week. If you wheel out grow the game on this as you're just growing your bank accounts, uh, although Eddie's not getting an appearance fee, it's 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 not. A, but but Bryson clearly is, and Patrick Reed clearly is, and um, and and a lot of money that the Crown Prince is shelling out. They are. Uh, they're they're uh, you know they're, they're 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 I just it's it's I I don't I don't know what else to say it's it's uh, they they're they're taking the money and uh, but I think they're going to do at least I hope fatal damage to the to the grow the game phase maybe grow the game went to Saudi Arabia to die which would which would be nice they they're doing <laughs> they're earning their money aren't they Jeff those who've been paid an appearance fee there was the PR photo shoot of them all pointing to Saudi Arabia on the map with their golf clubs early in the week there was this thing with DeChambeau Patrick Reed, I think visited a school, school yeah. they're, 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 it's the hard for nice things oh they're not getting an appearance fee that's yeah, right it, Sorry. it's <clears> hard <throat> for the players to say that they're not politicians when they go that extra step isn't it if you just go up there and play golf well, then you might get away with that but when you do all the uh, other well, stuff. But, but it's it, especially because the main reason for having the tournament is to help the image of the country, to help uh, change people's minds about things they've heard. So it is a it's a political mm. stunt to to host this event. They're shelling out a lot of money because there's nobody there. Um, the golf course is is looks brand new. It's raw. Uh, it's clearly not serving a sponsor. Uh, whereas you go to an event like I was at last week in Torrey Pines, and that's that's an event that's serving a sponsor mm-hmm. that's advertising. And a fan This base. is advertising for the regime and for the country. So it is political in that sense. Yeah. So. Is it is it working, Clates? I don't, I don't recall seeing a lot of good publicity about Saudi Arabia, but I've seen more publicity about Saudi Arabia in the Gulf world than at any time previously. Does that work to Saudi Arabia's benefit, do you think? It's lots of publicity, all of it saying what a terrible place it is. I don't think it will. I mean, they're, they're not getting over what happened last year with Khashoggi. I mean, that's the, that's the worst PR any place could ever have. So mm-hmm. it's a long time before anyone forgets that and starts focusing on, well, Saudi Arabia must be a nice place because they've got a golf tournament going on. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to go there and play golf, and it's just a, it's just spin. And, and remember, the, the Crown Prince is, is, is credited by Pelly as the visionary behind this event. This is his vision. This is his, his effort. Uh, as it was with tennis, but the tennis folks weren't quite as um, willing to, to, to go along, as I recall. Uh, didn't most of the big names pass on the event that he, he did? But So this is, this is coming from the top. This isn't like it's the tourism uh, board and it's just unlucky that they have this crown prince who likes to order uh, murders. And it, it really is straight from him, according to the European tour. And I, th- I think that's where I get 
um, especially appalled because you can you can make the case that they we golf goes to a lot of questionable places, but the man in question here is the man behind the event. The tournament. You're dancing with so, the devil in a sense, aren't you? Directly. Yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no middleman to take yeah, any of the pressure. Yeah, from. there's no middleman. There's no gray area. Yeah. It's thing. it's been fascinating to watch how it's unfolded and how the European Tour have handled it. Been, done, their social media team have been getting accolade after accolade after accolade <laughs> for the last, no, rightfully no, so, no, for the last twelve no months. Videos this week. Oh. There's less, isn't there? There's uh, there's been bits well, what and pieces. Do you do? Tough one. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. It, I don't think it's as, just as straightforward as they're bad. We should have nothing to do with them. I don't know whether that's a healthy way forward. Is, does golf have a place in dealing? And we know we know that. Both the US and uh, certainly the, the UK do a lot of business with Saudi Arabia, as do a lot of big companies. So uh, yeah, there's, oh yeah, no there's, a, there's an awful lot of uh, awful lot of uh, hypocrisy going on there. Let's leave that for now. I don't think that's got to answer yeah. that question, and that'll be. Yeah. I don't think it's the last time we'll talk about it. The interesting thing will be to see whether it continue. You would imagine it's a minimum of however many years the deal would have been signed for. It'll be interesting to see whether. Uh, it goes ahead. They'll, they'll have to do an analysis of what sort of hit they've taken the European Tour, I imagine, after this and whether it's worth continuing on. So let's move yeah. on to the rules, Jeff, because I know that uh, it's... Oh, yeah, what's happening? <laughs> and still the European Tour. Two interesting things happened here. How Tong Lee got the penalty for his caddy being behind him as he as he lined up the punt to the letter of the rule, which you did a little video during the week, I saw, saying, listen, this is what the rule says, and there's no question that there was a breach there. That was interesting in itself, and I got a lot of reaction from a lot of players about, you know, common sense hasn't prevailed. He clearly wasn't lining up all the rest of it. That's one thing. The second thing was that Keith Pelly took a swipe at the RNA afterwards, suggesting right. that it wasn't the European <laughs> officials' fault. They had no wiggle room. Talk us through the Hao Tong Lee thing first, and then I want to get Clates' take on it, because as a player, I'd be interested to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, my view was informed a little bit by being at Torrey Pines, where um, I, I talked to some of the rules officials early in the week, and then I actually was talking to a rules official just walking by and stopped and doing a stop and chat quickly, and he and actually watched him watch a player and get just very nervous because the caddy, he couldn't quite tell if the caddy moved. And so we started the week understanding this. So, so Rory singled it out in his press conference as one of the rules he, he didn't care for, but he understood. And it had been really, really driven home. Just, just don't let your caddy be directly behind you anywhere near your beginning of your shot. Mm. And so you had that, then you had, um, you know, things I anecdotal things, just knowing that the rule staff was actually seeking out caddies or players, just just reminding them if they saw something that was was questionable. So I knew that the PGA Tour, at least the tour, uh, I've heard from Web.com people and, and European guys, it may not be as proactive, the effort, but they've been very proactive, particularly on the, that rule. <clears throat> just don't even let it be close and you'll be fine. Um, and so that was where I came from on it. I get why people look at it and look at it the way they do with so many of these other things. But um, I, yeah, first of all, I don't know how you can rule out that he wasn't helping him line up in some way because of where he was standing. Um, if he was reading the putt, he could have done that in many other ways without him being so close to address. So the rule is is a little weird, but ultimately the rule was created to help pro golf and make it look better to no longer. And, and then also just for fairness. So uh, that part, that's why I 
just took the view I did, and again, it was more informed by what I saw. Tori, and then Pelly was just clearly trying to just create something to talk about for uh, this coming week. And, <laughs> that and we, wasn't and, Saudi Arabia. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was so transparent. I love that Martin Slumbers just just slapped him right mm-hmm. down because uh, we know we know those European tour tour rules officials, and if they could have found a way around that one, they would have. But it was so clear in the wording of the new rules and then you know the thing we don't know what i'd love to know is because i think they probably could have found some way to to not call it but they did which makes me wonder if they too have been doing education efforts and and they knew that that uh, lee didn't listen i mean i'm just speculating completely here but that's a great rule staff and i am confident that they are doing their part with players so there's more to the story i is is my point yeah, i think indeed. and um yeah and, and the last thing you notice the reaction the people who were howling and and upset were almost all european tour players you, yeah. you saw justin thomas threw a little grow the game hashtag jab out but that was more about kind of you know how these things look, look yeah but you didn't see any pga tour player um outraged you you saw maybe some web players and some europeans and that tells me that these because i've been told these education sessions they they, uh, the usga has been at and the tour rules have been really well attended and they said the questions have been great the guys have been coming surprisingly uh well and i don't mean that to be demeaning but but they're asking really great questions is what they said so the guys had really they felt had done their homework and um so it could be a you know an issue of of one tour has taken this a little more seriously than the other. As simple as that. Mm. Clayton, so the heard, new rules. Yeah, I heard you on a, another podcast earlier this week make what I think was kind of the point of the whole thing. Whenever you have new rules uh, change, somebody becomes <laughs> you know the incident that's held up as you know it blows up somewhere, but then it never happens again. And if you're on the side of wanting to see caddies lining up players disappear from the game. I think Hao Tong Lee's achieved it, has he not? Yeah, well, we did a... For the Golf Australia magazine last year, Brendan James, the editor, asked us to do some predictions for the following year. And mine was... The, the rules prediction was, how long is it before an LPGA player is penalised for the caddy in the wrong place? So I was wrong on it, the fact that it would be an LPGA player. But my point would be, it was bound to happen... Mm-hmm. It's happened. Now everyone knows where the line is and it won't ever happen again. Yep. And, and if Lee had been a half aware, he would have known that while well, my caddy was there, because you can back off a putt. With no, you can't back off a full shot. No, that's right. Once it stood behind a full shot, you're done. But you can back off a putt and start again. If he'd been half aware of what was happening, he would have gone, well, hang on. You know, my caddy was on my line there. I'll back off and we'll start again. And so he showed no awareness of the rule mm. at all. Because it was, you know, it, it would have been obvious if he'd been aware of what the rule was that that breached it. it but it's kind of the point, isn't it, Clancy? I mean, you're professional golfers. You know, we know you need to work on your game, but there's got to be some time to familiarise yourself with the rules of the game that you're playing by. And they have to accept some of the blame, don't they? If they get a rule like this, you know, that, that, that should never have happened. It really is on Lee, I think. Yeah. And it happened in, remember when I spoke about in the other podcasts, when they banned caddies, remember when Miller's caddy and Crampton's caddy were crouching behind them when they putted. And they, you know, they were lying them up, and, and they stayed there, and they banned that. And then Jack Newton had a tap-in putt in Canada. He, you know, he putted from a different angle, 
putted his ball up by the edge of the hole, went to tap it in. His caddy was directly behind him on the side of the green. He hadn't moved. And his playing partner dubbed him for two shots, and he got two shots. So everyone knew that, well, you can't do that. Yeah. And that was a that was a ridiculous interpretation of that rule, given he had a three-inch putt. But anyway, the same things happen again, and everyone knows where the line is, and it won't happen again. And, and, and my understanding was it was the tours, which explains where Slumbers was coming from. It was the tours that pressed the RNA to bring the rule in. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you can't press the RNA in the USJ to bring the rule in. And when someone breaks it, have a slap at the RNA. Well, you guys wanted it. Yeah. And my assumption is that this is not an issue in the amateur game. So the, the RNA had no beef in the fight of you know professional no, golf and caddies lining up players. It was it was only until the tours asked for the rule. Yep, exactly. And which which raised the age old question again, I suppose, uh, Shaq. I saw Tom Panice brought this up on Twitter, though there wasn't really a groundswell of support for the idea. But you hear this from time to time: the professional tours should make their own rules because the amateurs aren't up to it. Yeah, yeah. Why don't they? Out of interest, because I asked Tom uh, Panice on Twitter, I didn't get an answer, but there's some very good reasons why they don't, isn't there? Yeah, and that that was something that I picked up a lot of last week, more of that sort of, you know, we really should make our own rules thing. And I, I, it's always funny when players throw that out. They Tim, Tim Fincham, um, who's, who's looking better and better every day, because the only time <laughs> he ever crossed the governing bodies was on anchoring, and he really... He really believed, just having watched his golf buddies, uh, that it was just 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 dumb for the game. Um, but in general, he had many opportunities during his run to, to 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 face this question, and every time he c- couldn't wait to just no let them let them do it. Equipment testing's a pain and it's expensive, and rules are a pain and expensive, and the the players I think have given a. Uh, a price tag on these things, it would would quickly. Um, there's would no, there's be no glad money that we have the, the structure we <laughs> yeah. have. No, and there's, there's no, no money, money to be made. That's exactly right. Uh, it's only a loss. So uh, if, yeah, it's if, not fun. If we ever got there, Jeff, if there was some major schism in the game and the professional tools decided they were going to make their own rules, including about equipment, how different might the game look? You can't help but feel it would not be a good thing for the game. We can all take our shots at the RNA and the USGA for where we think the game is with equipment. Can you imagine what the game would be like on the professional tours uh, if they were in charge of making equipment rules? It would be a free-for-all. I know. Right. Yeah, the irony is that most other sports would want to take control of their equipment rules to protect the way the game is played and 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 the and the entertainment value of it and then the balance of it and all those things uh whereas whereas if golf organizations got a, the pro organizations got a hold of the equipment rules from what we've seen right now they would go the opposite way uh and they would they they would be more for distance uh and and then and and it's just an incredible thing we've seen i wouldn't have said that about fincham uh, but I would say that about Pelly and mm. and about uh, Jay Monahan, and they've that by signaling what they've signaled, it's it's really uh, an amazing thing to to think about. Fincham never really, uh, he kind of got it a little bit on on certain elements of architecture and face of play, but um, I don't think he fully grasped it. But I think he grasped enough that 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 it was probably uh, wise to let those people do it and what what they had was fine. I'm sure Dean Beeman had educated him uh, or or vented in his ear many times about those things. But look what look what I mean look what happened to Dean Beeman when he tried to uh, to 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 get involved in equipment, right, Clates? I mean, he 
<laughs> he got it. It it hurt him. Oh, refresh, it, it, refresh. I've forgotten. For, well, well, he, he wanted square grooves, right? Right. So, I mean, he wanted to go after that. Yeah, and, and Beeman's book was great when he wrote about you know in years to come it'll be routine for players driving the ball 350 yards, and he he said to the the, the, the administration. If you don't want to take charges, that's fine. Let us know. We'll take it on. But, you know, you need to do something. So he was, if, if he was still the commissioner, he'd have done something about it long ago. I mean, he completely yeah. got the, the, the ball distance thing 20 years ago. He saw what was coming. Mm. Adam Shupak. Um, but, of course, people yeah. Adam always chalked it up to, oh, it's just Dean thinking of his own game. Um, and so that was always a problem for, for his argument. But a, a smart commissioner would say, hey, we've got to make sure that the long hitters are long and, and the uh, the straight hitters can still compete and the short straight guy and, and you know a good commissioner would be thinking uh along those lines um but but monahan looks like he's he's not interested in that well the game's thriving jeff jeff the game's thriving right it's thriving. growing and thriving, growing and and thriving. It's, uh, it's athleticism it's yep. the athletes who picked up a whopping one mile per hour in clubhead speed yep. over the last decade i don't uh, we can get into that, but um, so yeah, that's all a marketing-driven point of view. Um, you know, they just named the new head of the Web.com tour came from the marketing department. Everything's about marketing now, and so they want to market athleticism. And uh, so that you know, when, if they were in the rules uh, business, the, the, they'd probably appoint a marketing person ahead of that. Uh, department as well wouldn't the best move to promote athleticism clates be for the the tour to say so to prove that the players are more athletic now we're going back to persimmon and ballada and mm-hmm. you'll all see how much further they hit it than norman and Seve and jack and everybody else wouldn't that just end yeah. end the debate right there why don't they do that uh, well we know why they're not doing that but... what about what about yeah. uh, okay in that scenario what if they just went to smaller a little smaller driver head. Mm-hmm. Um, even that differentiation from from the the everyday game, um, I think could could even do that. Rod, right? I mean, we don't know. Nobody's actually done a great um, been able to do something because they don't have a smaller head to work with. That's that's uh, up to kind of modern, otherwise modern specs. But and, and that's Titleist's point of view because uh, they they don't want to undermine their ball sales. And I've you know, ask our friend Wally many times. All right, let's make it. Let's see it. Let's have an event. <laughs> uh, but we haven't gotten there yet. Well, speaking of events, here's an intro. Here's an intro. That that is a great idea, Jeff. And and look, you might have less pushback about that than you do about the ball, as you say. I mean, the the forces that are amassed behind the ball. It's it's uh, yeah. It's, what player is going to come forward and and whine about a, that? A small um, lad, That's right. Yeah. I mean, they might, but I think you'd get so many top players go, uh, yeah, I'm a, I am mean, we know Adam. This is Adam's point of view, Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tiger would support that. I, I think everybody would be uh, incredibly fascinated just to see it um, uh, play out. And, and it would, I just, it just would be, and we've talked about it. Maybe it's, it's, uh, maybe it's not even every week, you know, maybe at Torrey Pines, they're allowed to play modern clubs, but maybe at, at Riviera or some other or other shorter places, it's up. Oh, got to got to go to the three thirty this week and uh, worked with my team at at Taylor. <laughs> you know they can they can yeah. draw out all the sure. plugs in the world for yeah. their manufacturers and yeah. Yeah, it would be an, it would be I think it would be 
Very interesting. And it would create it. Torrey Pines is enough of a root canal week anyway, Jeff. You can't punish the players by taking their driver off them yeah, as well. To go down the rabbit hole here, Clates, speaking about having one-off events or interesting or different, I was listening to Derek Duncan's podcast during the week with Jay Blasey, and between them they cooked up this idea, which is fascinating but will never happen, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, of once a year the tour goes to a public municipal golf course somewhere which has no 12 months of preparation to get it ready for a tournament, and the tour players play it. So for those in Australia, let's say you'd go to Albert Park's Yarra. bad example. Yarra, no. Yarra Bend. Yarra Bend. Turn up there Thursday, no year of agronomy work and getting the bunkers ready and doing the green. It, it, it is how it is that day as the public would play it that Thursday and let them play. What do you think about that as an idea and what that might do for the game? Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I mean, it would actually be fun to watch. And the tour used to, where did Mike Suchat win, win that tournament in Texas, Jeff? Brackenridge Park or something where he broke the record? Weren't they teeing off mats there? Yeah. Of course, the course is in terrible shape. And Yeah. So I'm not sure the US Tour didn't go to a few dodgy public courses in the 50s. But, um, I mean, we don't have great public courses in Australia that no. you would want to do that. I mean, you know, they're, they're not, it's not that good. They're okay. but And they're great facilities for people to learn how to play golf. But it would be good to go to a – what was Bethpage like 15 years ago before they redid it, Jeff? Was it in dodgy shape? And yeah. You know that would have been a that would have been a cool event to go to because that's or, or just go to one of the other courses at Bethpage. Just see what happens. For- but, but but the concept, the idea was great. Yeah, just go and play it. Just go and play the golf. Just go and play a golf course the way the regular punters play golf. That's right. Every fifteen marker who lives in the district yeah. plays this course once a yeah. week, and that's sort of their handicap. The other thing I guess it would do, Jeff, is it would show people exactly how good these guys are, because you would think they'd be living a long way under par at your average sort of council course, would they not? Yeah. No, there are a lot of benefits to it. The, the problem, of course, is that sponsors uh, dread. Hmm. public facilities they want to go to a place that they're thinking of their hospitality i think that was part of the issue up in northern california just recently where they were they could have this was a an opportunity and i know there were a lot of issues with corica park this place that uh, reese jones redid and they have this really fun uh, cutting edge agronomic approach from a disciple of claude crockford and uh there were a lot of great elements to it and Steph Curry was totally behind it, uh, but they, uh, they, you know, it, it was going to be tough to get a sponsor to be as excited about that versus Lake Merced, which was a little, little more uh, centrally located and and a little more posh and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a, I think something people have thought about, and it, um, and then these guys also, I don't know, Rod, they are. I tried many times last week at Torrey Pines to ask players who'd been there a while, you know, this scoring this week, yeah, how much do you attribute to the lack of wind and how much to the amazing course conditioning? And they just, nobody bet on the course conditioning. Torrey was so good. The POA greens were beautiful. I mean, yeah, it was a little bumpiness, but like compared to 20 years ago, it was just nothing, nothing. Um, the ball rolls so much more smoothly. But the players in there have such a thing about POA now that because there they have a one course with Bent, one with POA, and they are just consumed with how fluky it is as a as a surface. And I really believe it's psychological. It's just the way the ball rolls on the surface of POA versus 
where it's bent, it's a different leaf and it clings to it, right, Clates? I mean, it's yep. it's it's mental, right? A lot of the time, uh, not I mean, not at a USGA event late in the day, but where the greens have been dried out. But I mean, these things were not baked out; they were. So my point is, they're spoiled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good power greens are terrific to putt on. Incredible, if yeah. If they're bad, they're no good. But if they're good, they're yeah, just as good as anything to putt. I mean, Oakmont's. I've never played Oakmont, but right. Ogilvy, Ogilvy Amazing. raised, you know, thinks he said those greens are incredible to putt on. Yeah. There, so. so, so yeah, so it would be a fascinating thing. I think, though, Rod, what's happening is, is to the your point on the community element, it, it's going to happen without the pro golf uh-huh. endorsement. I mean, I am really seeing some some interesting comments and and thoughts from people. And and uh, it's 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 um, and part of it's just economics. There's a younger generation coming along that loves the game, and there's a movement uh, they, though, isn't there? There's a there's a it it's is, small, yeah. but it's a definite movement. People want golf to be a part of communities. This is my right. it's over there. Golf in so many places, golf lives over there. It's not part of the day to day life, which you know Scotland tells us is not the way that that. You know, St Andrews is right there in the town. You can sit and have a coffee and watch people play the 18th, and you've been able to do that for hundreds of years. And so yeah. that that model, taking some of those principles, because golf's been so terrible at adopting great principles, haven't right. they? That's what we've shown ourselves. Here, look, this works over here. Let's not do that. Um, but there really is a bit of a push, this community links idea that, you know, Winter Park and is a great example yeah. of that sort of thing where it's in the middle of the town. Hill. Yeah. yeah, and it works. It's, it's not just for golf. It's for others as well. In fact, Andy Staples told us he'd done a place, I think it was in California or New Mexico, and part of the redevelopment was a zip line facility. <laughs> You're playing golf and there's people zip lining around the, around the golf course, which is exactly kind of what the sort of thing that golf wow. yeah. should no, be. And it, it, it's once golf gets over itself and realizes that, yeah, we're taking up all this space, and but we don't really fill it up seven days a week. So what's so awful about uh, one day a week doing something? And, and I, mean, I, I don't think we're far away from some place being a golf course where they take just, just rip right off of St. Andrews and they're closed on Sundays. And Sundays the place is uh, turned over to – picnickers and and dog walkers and um and and you know what it won't be the end of the world no. the superintendent will grumble about having to clean up all the the mess on monday left behind but uh, all you have to do is take them over to brookside golf course here in southern california where they have to clean up after um twelve thousand cars and and tailgaters and they won't be very sympathetic so i definitely see uh just the brainstorming that's going on uh, that that this will happen. Um, I don't know what city it'll be or where, but uh, and that'll be a great thing for that yeah. course yeah. that does it. Yeah, and a great example for everybody else. This goes straight to your point, doesn't it, Clates? You managed to avoid getting lynched at Metro for suggesting on our podcast a while ago they should take down the fences, but it's incredibly symbolic. But it's <laughs> it's kind of important. I was going to say, you know, they should get rid of grow the game down and. Perhaps we should start to take down the fences yep. line because yep. that's the best way to grow the game is to, as they do in Scotland, where it's a part of the town. You yep. can everyone can walk onto the golf course in North Berwick and all those places. You use. make golf great again. Yeah. Well, and this, take, take down the fences. Yeah, and where we also 
Yeah. And how about just the, 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 not the, the imaginary fences, Clates? I mean, these, all these real estate developments here in the United States, mm-hmm. if you're not a golf member, um, there's so many of them where you're, you're, you're going to get in trouble if you take your dog for a walk in the afternoon. And, um, so there's a growing divide there too. And then a lot of them are like in the desert here in Southern California, they're not overseeding the roughs anymore. And so you're creating even more, uh, anger from the people who bought on a golf course, maybe who didn't even really like golf, but they liked green grass. So there are all these forces that are where you can see where it's going to come to a head, um, with with uh, with both real estate developments and just where golf courses how they they interact with their communities and it's it's uh, it's going to be ugly for those that that don't come up with creative ways to adapt. Well, that's kind of the the real message, isn't it? And this is all very romantic to think about this stuff, but it's kind of crucial if you want to have golf, public golf available in the future. We're going to have to do this stuff because public golf, as it looks right now, is not working. There's something wrong with the product, and these are some of the yeah. things they're trying. Just on the overseeding, Jeff, isn't painting the new thing in um, in a lot of places? They paint, uh, they paint the grass. That was for a little while. I haven't seen a whole lot of yeah. traction on that, um, but it, 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 yeah, the paints were better, and but I don't know if, again, I don't know if a younger group is um, really that excited about that, yeah. seeing their ball and their shoes green. Uh, if it's really worth it, and I think that's the uh, the most interesting thing in a, in, in a lot of these discussions we're seeing, that that the the vibe of a place can make up now for so so conditioning and a low budget, and I think that's really fascinating. I mean, Winter Park um, is just a home run in every way, uh, but but Goat Hill is not magnificently conditioned, but the atmosphere is so great. And the improvement of the amenities around the clubhouse um, is is been huge. You've and been there, just I take kind it. Of the, Jeff. You've been to go. I through? have, yeah, okay. several times. I didn't stop through this time. I usually stop through and at least hit a bucket of balls. Um, and so all those things that 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 they've done atmospherically, and and then actually in terms of function of the uh, of of the there's a little kids course and. And it's welcoming that if you know people just want to come up and hit putts, they can, and and all the all that little stuff yeah. that makes up for yeah. such uh, mediocre uh, conditioning sometimes for people, and that's a big change as well. Yeah, and Brown isn't bad, people. Brown is not bad. Brown well, golf courses are okay. I you think know. we see more people open to it. Yeah, now. I do They're too. Not, I do not, too. Like, I've apologized a couple of times because Rustic Canyon's converted to Bermuda, and we had some really cold weather and. And I saw some photos, and I was like, holy cow, that thing is snow white. And I said something, and somebody went, oh, no, it's fine. Who cares? It's great. You know? And I'm like, wow, this is great. This is exciting. Well, it's, <laughs> an out, it's an outdoor game, isn't it, Clates? And the course should change with the seasons. That's just a reality. Yep. Yep. <laughs> of course. As a, you know, Hoy Lake, the 2006 Open, the famous brown open at Hoy Lake, yep. we're talking one. Three weeks later, it rained, and the course was green again. That's yep. how it should be. I mean, yep. This artificial kind of. You should just Crazy. play it as it lies. That's right. Like it's... when you get in a waste area in Dubai. Uh, now, I, th- <laughs> <laughs> we'll go. I thought we'd come to this. So for those, if anybody happened to miss it, so Lucas Herbert, young, young Australian player, found himself in trouble, two-shot penalty for swiping away some stuff behind the ball in a waste area in the third round in Dubai over the weekend. Clates, you were sitting in the studio. We keep calling it the other podcast, Golf Australia, the organisation in here, the Inside the Ropes podcast they do. Right? You sat in the studio with Lucas and he explained himself and, and it looked very bad 
the incident itself uh, on the video, and there was a lot of reaction to that. What, did, what was your take from it all? And then I want to talk about maybe more sort of a press reaction, because you and I have had a bit of a discussion, Jeff, about some of the sort of the press reaction as well to what happened there. But you sat in there with, with Lucas. What was your take as a fellow professional? I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, how do you think that's all sort of played out? Because I think her, Lucas himself has admitted it looked terrible. When you look at the video, it looks awful. Yeah, there's not a single pro in the world who, or even a golfer in the world who would see that and think that was okay. Uh-huh. So it depends. I mean, only he knows whether he cheated or not. Mm-hmm. Only he knows what intent was in his heart when he moved that stuff. But there was no way around what he did. It was clearly breaking the rule. And most people would say, wow, that's cheating. Um, the only defense I could come up with was that presumably he knew the cameras were there. So he can't be that stupid to do it in front of the cameras. Well, uh, he said so that, pa- didn't he? In that, he said yeah. that he knew the cameras were there. And why would I do it if they were there if I, you know, if I, yeah. if I was trying to cheat? And then- but, you know, it looks terrible. In, in retrospect, if I was advising him, I would have said, Lucas, just go and disqualify yourself. Yeah, just walk in there and say, that's no good. Two-shot penalty is not enough. Because the, the problem is the players don't unsee that stuff. Mm. When, when, when Simon Dyson whacked that spike mark down, you know, he never played well again, really. The players abandoned him. Yeah, it looks terrible. You know, and the, you just can't get any sort of reputation out there because everyone knows it. And, and, and in fairness to, you know, I, we, I was playing with a challenge to a player yesterday, a German guy who's playing the Victorian Open next week, and he was noting that there was more cheating going on out there than ever before. And, you know, I suspect he, he might be right. But players that perhaps – it's an interesting dilemma the game has as we play for more money and somehow this stuff is not normalised, but – players are of a mindset to get away with what they can and it was on film last week um, you know the problem with it is that you see that once and you think well how many times has he done that before mm. you know that's always the, the, the question that players have wow he did that what? and the, the, the reaction the corresponding reaction to that is well he's I'll, yeah, I'll bet he's done that before. And I have no idea whether he has or not. But you know, it's, um, the players don't understand it. It looks bad. It's just a, you know, it's a, no, it's a no win there. But, you know, we all know that the stories over the years of reputations players have for breaking rules. And because, it, you know, the games rely on people playing fairly, it's when it does come up, it's, it's always a headline and a, Oh, and it's such a it, it, it's a it's the biggest thing you can say about a golfer, isn't it? And you know the the c word has been bandied about about this incident on Twitter, fairly or unfairly. And Jeff, a fair bit of that you've kind of been involved with it as much as people <laughs> people have sort of yeah, rushed. Yeah, guilty. Yeah. Two, two things that I want to ask you about. First of all, is and I think this was a contention that you made when we had Joe on about the rules before Christmas and this slippery slope of. The further we get from play the ball as it lies, the more situations where play the ball as it lies is not the default position, the more of this sort of thing we're going to see. Yeah? Right. Yeah, and that was something I, I was very concerned about. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I saw something very different at Torrey Pines. And again, I, I, I don't know if this is cultural, if this is just the moment. Um, but I saw two different 
episodes where a player was moving a loose impediment by their ball. And they treated it so carefully. Mm. Um, because well, obviously people were there, but it's just in their nature as golf professionals. And, and I would love to hear Clay's thoughts on this because I, when I was a young golfer, I'd always play well after watching tour pros and, 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 and the week after. And I knew, I realized it was their tempo, the way they approached their ball. Everything around their golf ball, it's like the, the ball was an egg, you know, and they always laid their club so gently, and, and there was just this air of a, of a certain kind of, um, of uh, tempo and calmness that, that I would absorb, and, I'd, I, and then I'd lose it after about a week. <laughs> but watching, and I, and I saw that again last week. You know, I haven't been to a tour event since uh, the Ryder Cup uh, tournament. So, and you just watch their, their feet are, you know, they don't stomp. They're, they're, there's a certain quietness to them. And watching how guys were around their ball and how delicate they were in moving things, I was so impressed. So then when I see Lucas digging the Panama Canal behind his ball, it's just so jarring. That's why I see cheating in that because I still see most golf professionals uh, thinking that way. The other thing that was really interesting, and not to go down a rat hole, but we thought early in the week that, that with the first Poa Greens and the new rules, we'd see guys out there uh, you know, with the, yeah. their tap or getting the yeah, gardening, getting their ball marker and lifting up on heel prints. Well, guess what? All the guys would come in and say, I just didn't feel right doing it. I saw dents. I mean, we're talking Tiger, Charles Howell, Doug Gim, Roy McElroy, Justin Rose. I mean, I could go on and on of guys who, who we would ask them, you know, well, how's it going with the new rules? And and they would say sometimes they'd even ask the guys like, "Hey, what?" And the guy would go, "Hey, you can you don't need to be asking me like you can fix that." But their inclination as professionals was, eh, "I can't call that dent damage. I, I'm I'm leaving it." And it was fascinating to hear that. So again, then you turn on the European tour and uh, you see this, and it's so different than what uh, what the, the the attitude that I saw last week. Um, and so that's why I found it to be, um, you know, that first sign that, yeah, we've, we've made a dent and play it as it lies. Um, and here we go. Slip, slippery slope. In Lucas's yeah. defense, he says that his club was eight to 10 inches behind the ball and in no way improved the lie. He accepts that the vision, vision makes it look a lot closer exactly. to that, and it certainly does, but <laughs> his contention is that it was eight to 10 inches behind the ball. And as Clates says, only he... It's a family podcast, so yeah. we won't go there. Only, yeah. uh, only he would know. Clates, do you think that's just a habit thing that Jeff's referring to there with the guys on the US tour? Is it going to take some time, and is it a generational thing? If you've spent your entire life not being able to fix something on the ground, it's very difficult... To suddenly get in the habit of going, oh, I can fix that. And then will we see the next generation not have the issue that, that Jeff's talking about there, that they'll just quite happily run around and that's damaged, that's damaged, and be repairing it? What do you think about that? Well, I'm, I should know what the rule says. I, my assumption was you can fix spike marks. Can you fix something other than spike marks? Any, well, da- any damage, is it sure, not? Sure, damage. I mean, well, plates, that was the, the issue was guys would, uh, as you know, with Poa Greens, and we had a lot of rain the week before, they still had a lot of moisture in the uh, enough that you know you can make a dent well and with soft spikes you can make a dent pretty easily the, the way these spikes are built so yeah i mean you can make a case that that's that a heel or or, or a bad soft, soft spike dent is damage 
But the guys were – it was fascinating to me that their inclination was to say, I, I don't think it is. I'm not touching it. Hmm. I, I expected more I, yeah. guys to go, screw that. I'm fixing this <laughs> this crater in my line. Yeah, I never. I just assumed that you could fix a spike mark as in a, as in a blade of grass that was sticking up out of the ground. I'd never thought of it. Yes. What, what you can repair a heel print. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, just, that doesn't seem right at all. I mean, how can you do it that? It doesn't. Well, and again, you could be out there for a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that seems ridiculous. I mean, and that, how? You, I mean, everything's a heel print around the hole, isn't it? Well, exactly. <laughs> there are quite a few. The yeah. closer you get to it, the, the higher the traffic, isn't it? That's what they're they're uh, they're there all the time. Let's move on. One of the uh, one of the things that came out of uh, the Lucas thing. So Lucas got off the plane from Dubai. Clates, he'd seen all the stuff on Twitter. And he rang Mark Hayes from Golf, the Golf Australia, the organisation, not the magazine down here in Australia, the, the governing body down here, and said that he'd like to come on the Inside the Ropes podcast to talk about it. The changing nature of the relationship between the press, and this is not to single out Hayes, obviously he's a terrific bloke, and, and I, or Lucas, but the changing nature of the relationship between the press and players and the game itself, I feel like I see more cheerleading in golf coverage. Do you feel like that? Uh, we well, to. was Ob Keeler a cheerleader for Bobby Jones and Dan Jenkins a cheerleader for Ben Hogan? <laughs> yes and yes, yes, <laughs> yes and yes. So, so there's always and Herbert Warren Winfrey, Jack Nicholas. So the, yeah, well, so they've always been. Or was his name Bowden? Jack Bowden? John Bowden? Bowden? Ken Bowden? Ken Bowden? Ken Bowden. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they've always been you know, cheerleaders for golfers, but there's less. Well, the journalism in golf is not in newspapers now. It's on, like, your site, Jeff. That's where, that's where proper golf journalism is, where there's criticism and comment on rather than just cheerleading. Yeah, you know. So there is no, and then certainly in the newspapers in Australia anymore, there's no golf journalism anymore mm. at all. We see every Ryder Cup, Jeff, the accusations both ways about journalists oh, yeah. from either side accusing each other of not being impartial. What's been your experience in press rooms? Has there been a, has there been an accusation of the American press? Uh, <laughs> I that? haven't. I don't see it on our side. That's for sure. Let's put it this way: I, there was at Hazeltine when they clinched the cup. There was no ovation, uh, unlike in France last year, where where uh, the Spaniards were particularly bad. I mean, they were just blatant with the, with this, the cheering. And, um, but the European press was so happy, um, whereas I, I'm just happy for the good story in the Ryder Cup. I, I, don't, I don't know. That's, that's, just, uh, that's just me. But um, I, I think the sport lends itself to a, a little more cheerleading because it's such a hard game uh, and you see people have ups and downs and um, you can relate to uh, the, the, the down part and then when you're happy to see them come back I'm guilty of that I have no problem saying it. I'm, I'm happy that uh, Tiger Woods is back and, and healthy and I, I want to see history and I, I have I'm not ashamed to admit that uh, or that you know Phil Mickelson is still relevant uh, I said that on Golf Channel this week I'm happy you know we're at that they're they're past that that window that Clates knows about that the, you know we've seen guys I don't mean we've seen guys over the years they hit a wall at yeah. 20 22 years and these two are suddenly uh, rejuvenated at an at that point in their career when they're supposed to be kind of done and so I'm happy about that uh, if that's cheerleading 
Uh, fine. I think what you're getting at, though, Rod, is it's it's um, there's a there's a kind of an element of when somebody does do something wrong or stupid, the inclination is immediately to look for the way to help the player spin it and defend it, and um, it's it, and it's just uh, the nature of our sport. I think that it's a little more uh, clubby, friendly, whatever um, that that people do that. And again, I think it's also the nature of the sport because it's so hard. We have a we have a higher level of empathy when somebody mm. uh, st- struggles or makes a mistake because we just know how hard the sport is. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm that. I try to be that way. But when you see something blatant, it's, it's, I, yeah, that's it's off-putting, trying to it? spin it's, that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's not. Um, anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a more general question than just golf, I think. The, we're moving far more into a world where coverage of all events is opinion as opposed to reporting. We get a lot less reporting and a lot more opinion, and I'm, I'm not convinced that that's 100% healthy. Let's talk about yeah. golf. Um, there's Augusta? Some, some golf stuff. Yes, Augusta. So you linked, I think, the, the first graphic we've seen, as you put it, of the, the new-look fifth hole at Augusta National, 40 yards longer. Uh, I want you to talk about what you think's happened with the bugs. It looks like there might be an extra tree that's been out there but before that jeff you linked in that story to a piece that you'd written in 2010 which was just i had a read of it it was fantastic about the ties oh, between the old course and augusta national and what mckenzie and jones were thinking when they designed and built uh augusta national talk a little bit about that first and that piece i know you, you said before we started recording that you really enjoyed writing it at the time and then how what we're seeing at the fifth hole might fit in with some of those ideals that those two were after, and in this new era, how Augusta is coping with uh, distance, etc. Yeah, well, like that, that piece to somebody like Clates um, and, and some of the people who'd read Jones and McKenzie for years probably wasn't a, a, a shocker uh, or, or particularly revealing, but you know, there's not many people who've seen a lot of those old articles and um, realized how much of what they set out initially almost to build a theme course of replica holes, uh, never using that word, but, 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 but holes inspired by, and then it, it shifted as they designed the course and as they built it. And you still see in McKenzie's descriptions on, on the, uh, day one program, uh, uh, kind of those little, little, uh, very short descriptions that are in the initial masters or I guess the national invitational program, he makes a lot of references to the old course still, or to other holes in Scotland. Um, and, uh, but they did, it is interesting. Jones is the one who probably wrote it more explicitly that they drifted from straight copies of holes and, and, um, the fifth hole, though, was the one where he said that the principles of the hole remained uh, essentially identical to what they had hoped to do with uh, in, in, in a, a right-to-left inspired version of the road hole. Um, so that article was really fun when it came out because so, so many people just weren't aware of of uh, their they were fair. They were aware of their affinity for the old course. They weren't aware of how much it inspired the thinking yeah. behind Augusta National. So, have what we've seen with the fifth hole this week, has it restored Jones and McKenzie's original attempt, which many of us, and I've said it myself, say that Augusta National has gone, has drifted an awfully long way from their original intent into what it's morphed into in the modern era? Well, I don't know, but I'm encouraged because the thing that, that really irked me 
and I know from I learned this more from Ben Crenshaw than my my hundreds of rounds playing Augusta National <laughs> um, uh, was that uh, there was a time in his lifetime where there was just the greatest feeling of just this just hugging those bunkers with a draw getting it down that left side and and it was referenced in um i was reading jones's description in 1960 uh there was a little funnel there in the fairway that you could kind of get a little turbo boost too but he also said that wasn't essential it was more about that left side shortening the hole and they liked the angle from from the left i'm i'm not sold on the angle being that great from there because i've stood there and looked at that green i don't know what angle <laughs> is, it, yeah, is there any angle to hit that green from? no I don't it doesn't, know, but, doesn't look like it on tv no. that's for sure so yeah so and then obviously to the left it's just death it just goes off into azaleas and a big fall off down towards the sixth hole so it was like the old the, the road hole in the sense that there was the, it's not out of bounds but it was a sort of death, death yeah. um if you overcooked it and then when Fazio came in and, and did the hootie stuff for him, they just they just bulldozed that beautiful hill and just shoved the bunkers forward, planted uh, these trees down the right, just perf- in perfect symmetry. It just looked awful, but it a- achieved the effect that they had hoped for, which was it forced guys to a lot of guys to hit a three wood um, because it just wasn't a comfortable drive anymore. And then that kept them at least hitting like an eight iron in. Um, or a seven iron, uh, and so it was successful in that sense. But what I see in the drawings is encouraging in terms of, you know, Clates and I were talking before the show, the number, the carry number is the same, but the hole's 40 yards longer. So that tells me they did a lot of earthwork and brought those bunkers back. I mean, that would be a – but they had to, you know, if they wanted to restore it, and that's what they had to do. Clayton, so you've only had. Uh, we all, I think, we all can't wait to see it in April and see the pictures from some of the angles as to what's been restored. But are you, are you encouraged, like Jeff, by this change compared to others? I mean, Augusta National has sort of historically they've lengthened the course, and that's what they've done. They've gone the ball goes further, make the holes longer, and a lot of the intents being changed. Do you think Jeff might be onto something here? Maybe we're going to see, yes, a longer Augusta National, but one that's more in keeping with what Jones and McKenzie envisioned, which was. An awful lot of it, as your article pointed out, Jeff, was the ground game. We don't see much of that at Augusta anymore. No, you don't. I mean, the original seventh green, Jeff, was unbunkered down the way you could right. drive in a pitch hole. I mean, it's completely changed now. I mean, that that's one hole they clearly would not recognise at all. 17 was bunkerless, uh, or there was no front right bunker at least. So there may have been run the ball a pretty up there. bunker yeah. over on the left. Yeah, so you could run that in too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess they saw much more of running the ball, you know, down the hill onto the eleventh green and things like that. So, I mean, it's so far from the intent. I mean, the, they they would not recognise so much of that course now. The bunkers behind the thirteenth and the sixteenth hole is completely new, and you know, it's so long. And you know, what what they do well, I mean, I don't know the course well enough, but what they do well is move the tees back but make the shot look exactly the same. Would, would you agree with that, Jeff? That, you know, yeah, they take, yeah. They take everything back but recreate. So, you know, it's not like they're just shoving tees back. They're actually changing it, the, the whole of the look from the tee to make it look the same as it did. So you really can't – you don't know the tees are moved. Yeah, and that, that, that was kind of a thing that made people in awe of them. But, I, but Clates, don't you think – okay, let's say even if nobody plays the ball on the ground anymore – 
and um, even and maybe even the strategy isn't quite the same because it, it, you know we'll see. And there's some overhanging trees. Who knows? But mm. I think if they but but would but but it wouldn't it be a big statement if they were attempting to get the hole with the added 40 yards playing the same as Jones described, which I, they are very, they really treat that chapter in, in golf is my game as almost biblical there now. Um, and I found that out last year because that was the only thing they, the, the club contributed in the way of advice for our piece on the 13th hole. And, and, um, it was very shrewd advice because Mr. R- we, Mr. Ridley used the quote in his press conference uh, about Bobby. So they've literally memorized those those writings. And don't you think that's an interesting? That's a big shift from the the the, the Hootie Billy yeah. Payne. Well, so, so the quote about thirteen was Jones wanting it to be a monumental decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I suppose that. The question that I'm not sure for me is why haven't they ever asked Bill Corn and uh, Crenshaw to consult there <laughs> and, and do the work there? That's just just amazing. That, you know, if you gave those guys a year at that golf course, they would they would just know exactly what to do with it, and, and, and it would be back where all of the architecture nuts like us would say, "Wow, they finally got it right. It's, it's perfect again." Well, and, and it just seems, you know, it seems so. Does Ben not want to do it, or? Oh no, I think he'd be very happy to. Um, I, I, I think, I think his input is going. We're going to see more of his input out there. I really do. Maybe it's not official, but just this kind of thing, where maybe they recreate number five, where they're really trying to get it right. Um, it may not work, but the intent was there. Um, but you're right; it is bizarre. It's always been bizarre, but they've also had some weird experiences in the past with past champions doing work there. <laughs> yes. I mean, Byron Nelson had to mop up a mess that Cliff Roberts made on the eighth hole. The eighth green. Oh, I mean, Sarazen's. Those people around yeah, What did Sarazen do? Oh, wait, what was his? Uh... He put the bunker on the second, didn't he? Uh, Sarazen, Sarazen put the yeah. bunker on the second, and Nicholas did right. the bunkers on the third, and the back of 13, did he do those bunkers there, I think? They're, they're Jack- Nicholas bunkers, yeah. Jack, uh, yeah, and the swale is the more egregious thing. I think the bunkers yeah. had already evolved. Trent Jones had, or somebody had made them more uh, functional bunkers. But uh, yeah, Jack, the bunkers on three and and the swale on thirteen are his biggest uh, contribution. And three three is a hole where I would I tried to get Ben going on that, um, and asking you know, and he, I think the game has changed. But but trying to, I look at number three and I just. I just don't understand the hole, and I I, I wonder if it uh, needs more consideration of what they were trying to do in the vein, Rod, of the old course discussion. Because that's what the no the third yeah oh, the, the, the third at Augusta was modeled yeah. on the twelfth loosely was it not though the tiny little putt yeah. to try and hit with a short pitch yeah and there's just a whole area over the bunkers that's that's second cut and I look at it and Weisskopf was was insistent. That there were one or two pins where he those Jack's bunkers took away a layup really far left, just short of the one fairway bunker that was there that gave you this nice uh, angle at, at, at like I guess the far right hole would be the one. Yeah, um, stuff like that. That hole's just missing those old course type dynamics, mm-hmm. and I I look at it every year and I just know they're there, but it again you know having that 
discussion is is tough with Tom Fazio. Um, but if Ben's it's Ben and Fred Ridley, I, I suddenly get pretty excited because Fred's a good player. He's been to a lot of these places, and then Ben obviously you know can can has a, he has memories of details on that golf course that are just. Uh, and he just got so much of the nuance there that they just have bulldozed over. Um, and so he's the one, he's one of the few living people who can get, help them get some of that nuance back. So, so, so if you were betting, would you suggest that within five years, Corin Crenshaw would be the architects there and they would go about, for want of a better word, restoring that golf course or getting it back closer to the vision of McKenzie and how we would all like to see it? I think it's possible. I don't know what the percentage is. I would I would bet on it as an option. Yeah, I mean, just seeing what Fred Ridley has said in the first year and the way he's gone about things, um, he he's uh, he's way less fearless than I thought he'd be in terms of of pushing things. I mean, year one, I can't believe some of the things he's done. I mean, nothing. It's all good. But, but uh, yeah, I think there's a, and I think he has a credibility that he knows he has as having set up the course and being a, a former amateur and champion played and all that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that other chairmen haven't had. No. Is, is he the agent for change that I think many of us have hoped for at Augusta National, not only for the Masters and its place in the game, but the place of the Masters more and, and Augusta National more broadly and the influence that it does bring to bear on the game more broadly. I mean, we've all been critical of the overgreen and the perfect white sand and some of the, the things about Augusta that people have adopted. They're all the wrong things. They haven't adopted the strategies of the golf courses, which is which is the great thing about Augusta. They've adopted the look of it and gone for that. Is, is Ridley the agent for change, perhaps, Jeff? Not suggesting that he's going to radically take it back to the scraggy-edged bunkers and brown grass or anything like that. But is he the agent for change, perhaps to put Augusta back in its rightful place where it's being a positive leader in the game? Well, I think that's what's fun about the fifth hole. It'll tell us. Um, And then the 13th hole project would would tell us a lot too because his attitude last year, and Clates, I think you'd agree, was was he gave the impression of disdain for having to do this uh, stuff, (laughs) which which is what we want. Um, to hear from him, we don't Absolutely. we don't want yeah. him to be bullish on. Ah, oh, I can't wait to get the bulldozers out, and we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, it sound like Rodney and Caddyshack. You know, we're going to just be uh, just developing up a storm. He, I liked that he, in some respects, was exuding uh, sort of a, an irritated tone. That like, really, we're going to have to go find room for another tee there um, on thirteen. Uh, we're I think that's a that's that is more telling than than things even like the Augusta National Women's Amateur, mm. which is also pretty um, bold, oh. but in a different kind of way. Yeah, yeah, big time. I I do agree with that. It does seem to because of course I mean Ridley being in charge when that whole Tiger Woods debacle happened probably set his reputation back unfairly, didn't for a while. Certainly, I thought that was quite a bumbling mistake that he'd made there but i think he's proved since he's sat in the chair that billy Payne vacated that uh you know he's he's going to be quite adept at being the chairman of augusta national well you could you could view it as a, a bungling or you could view it as he he uh, figured out a very clever way to prevent uh a, a, an even bigger 
PR nightmare. I mean, there's a couple ways of looking at that one. Mm. Uh, it wasn't great. It was period. There, but, there were no win-wins in that, was there? <laughs> it wouldn't matter which no, way you exactly. jumped. You weren't you weren't going to have a victory. Uh, in some ways, you could almost make the case that he that he that he prevented uh, something worse. Mm. But I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, it's uh, that one. There's a lot we don't know about what went on, and um, and and they also were. Uh, uh, they were naive in not having somebody watching the telecast uh, and able to deal with those things. And I think they've learned from that. <laughs> I know they, I know they have somebody watching, and they have monitors right there by the scoring now. There's, there's no more driving to the uh, the compound <laughs> to look at a replay. <laughs> well, the, the Sergio thing in 2017 tells you that, doesn't it? Um, it's important, isn't it, Clates? Because we talk about the influence of professional golf on the game more broadly, and nobody encapsulates that more than Augusta every year. Of all the golf tournaments held in the world, it's the one that has the eyes of both the golf and the non-golf world. There's something magical about the place, and it's a real responsibility they have to set good examples for the rest of the game because the rest of the game will follow. So it's important what happens at Augusta, isn't it? It is, yep. It is. Yep. And Very. I'm assuming you encounter that in your design work when you talk to committees and boards and members and I'm sure the word Augusta comes up not infrequently, I'd uh, imagine. Not so much in Australia because we kind of get the brown grass thing and you know, we stress that whilst they have some decent budgets in Australia, they don't have unlimited budgets and they don't get to rebuild the golf course every year. But, yeah, the, you know, the people who watch on TV tend to think that, you know, that there's more of a reverence for perfection in, in, in condition now than there ever was before. Yeah. I think that's uh, – and that's probably not been a positive. We're really getting up here. Let's start winding this up. A couple of things to finish up quickly. Jeff, I haven't seen a Lucy Lee update. Have you been across that? Has there been any no. update on Lucy Lee? No, no. Tomorrow's Friday, though, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I always brace for the – I was braced last Friday, and thankfully it didn't happen because we had all sorts of – fun things to do at Torrey Pines, like watching people play golf and uh, Tiger Woods and uh, all these guys were uh, in great form and great spirits. And I thought, Oh, not, not, not today, not today. We don't, we, we're, we're, this is a nice start to the year. Let's watch some golf. So I think that, uh, yeah, it could, it could be any day now though. Any day. What's she got feeling? She going to remain an amateur. She'll be teeing it up at Augusta oh, National, yeah. you think? It's they'll, they'll chicken out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Phoenix Open this week, the par 3 16th. I think it was the PGA Tour trying to push on Twitter this morning. Is there a better par 3 in the world than the 16th at Phoenix Open, good or bad, Jeff? Uh, it's 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 a hole. It's, there's a bunker on the left, and there's some bunkers <laughs> on the right, and it's fine. It's not a bad hole. No. You know, I will say this. That hole is actually a lot tougher in person than it looks on television. Mm. Um, and not because I mean the amphitheater is crazy and intimidating for if you're not uh, uh, ready to stomach that. But the green is a little more uh, uh, up and exposed than than television makes. It. Yeah. But uh, as far as uh, great par threes, no, I don't. I don't think no. it's what in the. the uh, what about the, the tournament broadly? It's divisive, isn't it? Some people say it's the best tournament because it's so non-golf. A lot of us say it's the last place you'd want to go as a golf fan. Where do you stand on that? Wait, what are you? Are you doing? Are you screen capturing back there? What are you doing? It's not no, me. That's my wife there. That's my oh, wife. Okay. I'll go in the other room. No, no, I think it's funny. I just want to make sure you, you know, like are you, you know, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, no, I think the tournaments. Uh, I think it's great as a one week a year thing. Great crowds. I had somebody. 
asked me the other day, a pro, she's a pro beach volleyball player, uh, beautiful. If she walked out, she was asking if I was there, if I could get her tickets. Uh, and I'm like, uh, wow, it just reminds you now she's just started playing golf, whatever, mm-hmm. but it reminds you that it's a, it's a big social event down there and it makes people pay attention to golf a little exposes them. And so for, I think it's great for one week a year. Uh, it's a different approach. So, and, and then you now next week we're on to something else. Yeah. I don't think it's, yeah, the behavior, some of it's embarrassing. I was going to say, my understanding yeah. is that it not only exposes <laughs> them to golf, but they expose yeah. themselves to golf. What yeah. do you reckon, Clates? Good or bad? Phoenix open up, a thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, one week a year. More, more interesting, you know, Jeff said, more interesting, we move on to next week. So we've got <laughs> Paula Creamer, Curry Webb, Laura Davies, Rio Ishikawa, Jeff Ogilvy, Nicholas Colsarts, Brooke Henderson, Minji Lee, Georgia Hall, uh, Christina Kim, Matteo Manasero, and Victor Dubuisson. Like for the Victoria Open? Like- They're all playing the Victorian okay. Open next week. So phenomenal. that's the, whilst it's not the greatest field in the world, there's a, that's a pretty interesting lineup of players for, for one tournament. For Australia, it's great. For Australia, it's been, but but to add them all, and the, you can't go anywhere else in the world and see Paul Kramer and Victor Dubuisson in the same field so, yeah. the same day. Can you guys you, tell me how is this going to work? The same way it well, has they, for about seven years. So, so they're not 30, okay. No, so thirty-six holes, half the field, half the men, half the women play one course, half the men, half the women play the other course. Alternate groups, men and women alternate groups, and they swap over on Friday. They play the course they didn't play the day before. And there's a cut uh, to 65, I think. They all play Saturday on one course, on the beach course, which is the better of the two. And then they cut again to, I think, 35, 35 or 40. Yeah. It's, it's... And they play the beach course on Sunday. So so it's a, it's an, it's a great concept, an interesting mix of players and you know, it's, um, so the alternating groups thing is fair. The only downside so, of the tournament is the cut to 35. But for the yeah, spectators, yeah. the alternating groups thing is fantastic because what you get to see almost invariably on Sunday afternoon is um, the second last group of the day is the, is the leading women's players. So the tournament's kind of decided. And then 10 minutes behind come the... the you know, the last group of the men's events. It doesn't always work out that way, but you, you quite often see the two champions crowned 10 minutes apart on the 18th green... Um, it's fantastic. It's a it's an amazing thing to to see, Jeff. It really is. It you kind of got to go there to yeah. get it. It's um, and all the spectators walking on the fairways. Oh, that's by far the best. Fantastic. Thing. I, I hope, yeah. and that'll continue. Well, we yeah, hope, we, Jeff. We hope. I mean, that's my fear. I've expressed it to Clates, and Clates is gung ho about it. Oh, if they don't like it, they don't have to play. Well, <laughs> it's right. It. It can be the the problem will be for the Vic Open this year will be making sure that the marshalling is particularly good, because if you're playing behind a group and this happened last year, I noticed Clates with Cheyenne Woods who was very popular with the crowds. Um, if you're playing in the group behind, there can be some issues with people wandering around aimlessly on the fairways, not knowing where they are. If the marshalling is good, it should be okay because it always used to be that way, didn't it, Clates? I mean, the ropes are a fairly recent construct yeah. in terms of tournament golf. Yeah, we were on the fairways in Australia until 1975, I think. They yeah. kind of but brought the ropes in. It's almost guaranteed you'll get a player whinge about it at some point during the week, Jeff, if that's what you're <laughs> angling right. at. Yeah. Someone's going to say, I don't like it. But most of the players, and I spoke to most of them, I don't feel like Cheyenne Woods was particularly comfortable. People get very close. Like, they're, you know, she hits a ball over here, and by the time she gets it, there's 15 people within six feet of the ball. 
And some of the players you could see weren't particularly comfortable with it, though they got used to it. Most of them, I think, though, Shaq, um, Clates, they really genuinely enjoy it, don't you think? And the I know Mel Reed, she won it the year before. She was fantastic. She was enjoying the banter with the crowds and being up close. And, you know, it was – I think some take to it and some don't. But uh, yeah. it'll be an well, issue for someone next week for sure. This is the first time it's been televised here, so it'll be fun. We'll we we we'll, we'll get it on Golf Channel. I think you'll enjoy it. Golf in the Channel. US. Okay, good, very good. I don't think we've gotten it in the past. Well, it's been I available online. It's never no, been no, broadcast have, yeah. on television, but it's, yeah. there's been an online stream for the last two yeah. years, I think, that you could follow. And then, but okay, and yeah. then they have separate scoreboards. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to the Vic Open website, there's a men's leaderboard and a women's leaderboard, so you know exactly what's going on. Um, they've really. It, it, They've really got the formula down. And and what this, I hope, will show to the PGA Tour and LPGA especially as well is that it's not only is it possible, it actually – and, again, you wouldn't want to see this every week, but there's no question there's a market for it and that it works. As I said, the only downside yeah. is, is the cut the cut on Sunday being 35 players each. That's – and I don't know how you get around that. You can only have well, so many players have, on the course. So. You don't have to do that. But they, the year before they cut to 60, they had one cut 65 and that – and they played morning and afternoon on Sunday. But it kind of splits the field. You can be on the same score and on a windy side, you can, if you're in the middle of the field, you can tee off at 8 o'clock or yeah, 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock, yeah. That can make a big difference to that. But it's, uh, it's going to be a good tournament. Mm. You know, there'll, there'll be some headaches. And, but yeah. it, it, well, I'll tell you what I find interesting, Shaq, is that it really does seem to, as I said, 2012, I think, was the first year, but it really has flown under the radar of the US, hasn't it? They're, they're, when the LPGA announced that they'd be a part of it, there seems to be a real, it was a real surprise for people. Like, oh, is there a tournament like that that exists? Has it not got much exposure in the US? I know you've probably heard of it because you've, well, apart from yeah, that, we've been banging on about it for the last couple of years, but has it gone under the radar over there previously? Oh, absolutely. It comes down to being on television here. If it's on television, then people stumble on it and they ask about it. We we discuss it on Morning Drive, but, but other than that, without it being on television. And then the uh, the Pillars both played, right? Uh, was that last year? Oh. Martin and Jarena both played? Uh, not no, that I know. Maybe not. No, 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 no. no. I'm no. sorry. There was, is there, was, there, was, there, there was a couple, wasn't there? Oh yeah, um, Richard Green and Marianne Scarfield yes. are, are engaged. They, they won both events. Richard won the men's right, event. Marianne which was won, incredible. Won that event. we noticed. Yes. The same year. Well, and that was incredible because yeah. I was going to Sue O, who bogeyed the last three holes to lose <laughs> two. But, um, <laughs> three bad clubs but to the three to the last it. three holes. Yeah, right. I know, I'm still not mad about it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, so I, I thought Randall Mel wrote a good article saying how the disappointing the LPJ con- contingent was, uh, given that for the first yeah. time ever, even though it's small money, it's equal, it's equal money. money. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there should have been a better turn up from the better LPJ players just to acknowledge the fact that, well, here we, you know, it's an equal money tournament. Let's turn up and support it because it'll grow and get bigger and the money will get bigger. And The late nature you know, of the that, announcement for the players, I think, uh, not to give them a free wow. pass, you're right, they should turn up and you only got to put yourself out once in a while. But I think the late nature of the announcement, because it was only November last year, I think they confirmed, wasn't it? I suspect a lot of the players had already set their schedule and it's offensive, but four weeks in a row is too much, clearly, for a lot of pros, and that's what it would have meant. So, uh, But on that note, I think, whilst, whilst we're clearly impartial, Jeff, as we've proved by pointing the figures, whilst we're completely impartial, Brooke Henderson is my favourite golfer in the world and once again has proved yeah. what a fantastic yeah. asset she is yeah. to the game because she'll be here. Um, yeah, and... 
Yeah, she's a star. That's a that's a big get. So yeah. that's that's and they have they have a thirty four event schedule now. The LPGA yeah. we forget that it it is now a that's a that's a lot of tournaments. Absolutely, and you're going to have people saying no now. Yep. And well, exactly, and, and the money's gotten bigger too, hasn't it? This is you know we see it in men's golf. It's hard to get people down here. It's going to get that way in women's golf too, which is a yeah. positive in a lot of ways. Says that the game's healthy in, in that sense. But I, I agree with Clates. There's something very important about this tournament that it's disappointing that some couldn't have put themselves out and said, look, you know, just this once, um, let's go down and, and do the right thing. Because you can't on the one hand say we're underpaid, and they are, women's golf compared to men's golf, and then on the, the, in the very next breath knock back the opportunity to play for an equal person, a legitimate event. It's not some, yeah. it's not some, you know, exhibition. It's a proper golf tournament, a proper golf course alongside other proper golfers, you know. The the, the women's tournament has generally had the stronger field, hasn't it, Clay? Uh, it's always been a, yeah, it a more interesting. Yeah, um, and and the, the thing about the tournament is it's always been a better event than it has been a field. Yes, it's true. You know, it's such a great walking on the fairways. It, it's a local sort of, Country-ish town out of Geelong. Um, you know the locals love it because they don't get any top class golf. They've never had top class golf in the area, mm. so the locals turn up and support it, and they don't need Roy McIlroy to be there to turn up. No. Whereas, whereas you play the Australian Open in Sydney, if Roy McIlroy's not there or Jordan Spieth's not there or Jason Day or Adam Scott, they're not interested particularly. Yeah, that's exactly. Mm. Right. So it's so it's a great event, and I, I think it'll be uh, it'll be a terrific Indeed. thing to watch next week to see how it turns out. And the See, I, here I thought Clates was going to be watching the AT&T National Pro Am. <laughs> Celebrities, uh, the big draw card. I'll give you oh, the, big, yeah, the big. icing on the cake shack for the Vic Open, and I know we're spruiking a lot, is uh, the last two years I've been there, there's a bloke who lives alongside the course who goes out and spectates with his dog. Uh, not on a leash, goes out and watches the golf because she spends most of her time on the golf course the rest of the year, and why right. shouldn't she go out and watch yeah. the golf? And so she does. Oh, fantastic i've never seen yeah. it wandering the fairways behind the players and here's this labrador just uh trotting along and enjoying i think we're gonna have more of that in, in spectating soon because uh people are able to take their dogs everywhere now on planes and serve and just call it a service dog or a uh comfort animal companion and, animal yeah that's right it's uh, uh it'd be great if we get a player that brings their companion Animal does, out. Does uh, Michelle Wee travel with her? Who is the player that Lexi, travels with well, her? Lexi. Several the, yeah, several yeah. of the women do, but Lexi most hers has an its own Instagram account now. Right. That's the one that they brought out when she won uh, at the uh, season-ending event. Uh huh. Okay. There you go. Uh, I, Leo, I think I'm trying to remember his name. <laughs> it, it, tried to get an interview with him. Won't be a feather in your cap if you can remember. <laughs> I have to yeah. say, Jack. The last thing I do, and it, and it is a momentous occasion. Last week, this week for Johnny Miller, Jeff. Uh, he really is an institution in televised golf, isn't he? Uh, that's a big deal. It is, yeah, and it, it will be sad to see him go because he's still really good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, or as good as ever, he may not have quite the, oh, I don't know, the enthusiasm in his voice, but he, he works as hard as ever. And you, when you really sit and just listen to him, uh, trying to kind of analyze why he's so good, you, you, um, you, you realize it when you don't try to do that, you just, just take it for granted that he's there and he issues these quick opinions and he, he's just succinct. And yep. he, and and so many of today's players, when they have to announce when they're going to give you something critical, they have to preface it. 
Oh, he is a wonderful humanitarian. He does charity work, but that really that was really a bad shot. You know, they have to <laughs> give you their oh stop. And Johnny just doesn't do that. He just gets in and out and yeah. boom. And he issues a, and he, his re, his gut reactions to things are are almost always right, and they're what you'd hope. And he and he got he he, he got more sympathetic as he got a little bit older. Uh, I think which is why he became more likable where he was more controversial early on. And uh, and then he just, you know, my favorite moment last year was actually when Faraday at the Ryder Cup, because we could listen to the feed, said something like, well, Johnny, you know how this putt breaks. Uh, and there was silence. And he admitted on the air that because they could not get their cart on a, on this one hole. And so he had not been out there that morning to hit the putt. And it, you could tell the shame. And you're like, Johnny, I mean, you know, most announcers would have went, yeah, yeah, David, you yeah, know, it's going to move. Yeah, it's going to move. And, uh, yeah, and they would have just they would have just made something up. And he couldn't do it, you know, because he took his work scouting the course and his books. I mean, these books he has should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. You know, they're just they're like works of art with all of his notes and cool stuff so um yeah he, he it's going to be tough to replace him because azinger you know has a, is very opinionated but even he's gotten a little bit i think um softer yeah you don't uh, step into that role though either do you shaq you earn that i mean miller's earned his position i mean when he stepped into the role i'm sure he wasn't considered to be you know now he's an icon that's what happens with Paul. when you watch grow up watching tv on sport don't you clates the commentators become as much a part of it as i mean i still miss ken venturi at the masters sometimes um it's, yeah. it's part of the the whole show isn't it miller he's not a cheerleader miller is he Shaq, uh, no. <laughs> no. he calls it as he sees it so do we think yeah, that yeah. I, I was do we think that young players now well i'm sure it's true have no concept of how amazing no. a player he was. No, no clue. They've no, no. got no clue that he was this guy who was, you'd open the paper up in Australia and Miller had shot 64, then he'd shoot 61 and win by 13 shots. And he, was, he played golf at a level almost no one else ever did, perhaps Tiger, but mm. he played some incredible golf those four or five years in the desert where it was well, hey, look, the, the, the whole tour. I mean, Oakmont obviously, but he was an incredible player. Wow. You, know. you can't. Fathom, uh, a lot of these guys, and I, I don't know how they, I don't know what to say on this, but Curtis Strange, for instance, uh, I can tell this the few times I've been around him, he, uh, he, he's very happy to talk about his career because I think he really senses, yeah, like there, there he is out at the U.S. Amateur, the on-course reporter. Ah, I think these kids have no clue, and you just want to, and I, and I feel old because I want to say, hey guys, he was the best player for a couple years yeah. on the yeah. planet when I was you know, your age. Like I worshipped this guy; he was amazing, and they have no clue. And it's weird. It's um, has that changed? It's weird. Interestingly, has that changed? I, I think it has. I don't want to sound like an old fart, no. but I think it has. Right, Clayton? So I just I feel like that. I always had a great awareness of players of the past i thought um yeah maybe not all the way back but well in fact i don't sense it now german kid i played with yesterday he was telling the story about he was on the putting green somewhere in at shady oaks i think it was and lanny watkins was there and he had no idea who he was and he walked up and said well that's a pretty cool nike putter he said where'd you get that from he said oh it's just a prototype i'm trying out and Someone does this, Lanny Watkins said i went home and googled lanny watkins i couldn't (laughs) believe it like this guy was like a legend (laughs) Yeah. No clue who he, he was. 
the best player in the world uh, yeah, but, for a couple of years too. And I was trying so, to explain. I said Lenny Watkins was like he was an amazing player. You know, he just yeah. ripped the flag out hole after hole. And when I saw him play a little bit, I mean, he was incredible. Yeah, this guy, guy had no clue, no clue no who clue. he was. <laughs> uh, that's good. And that and part of it is uh, uh, part of it is, is is a little bit of YouTube and and. Um, uh, golf Channel, you know, Golf Channel doesn't air old tournaments like it used to in the here in the states. But uh, if things aren't on YouTube, then a lot of these people don't know about them, which happen. is why I was always, you know, writing commentaries about the Masters. Get get the greatest shots in Masters history up on YouTube. Now they went a weird direction. They put full broadcasts up, which is great, but I don't see a whole lot of kids today watching those. But they will watch a great moment or a great shot. And, and um, that's the way they have become aware of players of the past now. Mm. Just on those Masters broadcasts, we talked about this with Gil Caps. We had him on the iSeek podcast a couple of years ago. You watch some of the, I'm going to say they're from the 60s, the ones I'm thinking of, where they had, obviously in a day before graphics, these huge tables with the complete model of the hole laid out. <laughs> yeah, weren't those I, cool? I think it's is it Julius Boros with this huge stick, almost like a croupier at a roulette table, yeah. but pointing out on the hole where the players had hit it and why oh. that was it. Oh, it's just, I want them to bring that back. That was amazing. Wouldn't you love to know where those went? <laughs> well, yeah, wouldn't you love to have one of those in your man cave? Yeah. Hey, Here's the 13th hole, but that was uh, there's some there's some real gold in that. And the great thing about those is, Shaq, for for those interested in courses, you watch the golf course change over the years. And in fact, I think it was might have been Sarazen talked about the trees on the left of 18 in one of the broadcasts, how they'd been planted sort of five years before, and he was saying how you can now start to see the effect that they're having on the tee shot at 18, really closing it up and making it different. I can't remember who suggested they should have trees over there on the left, but um, you get some really interesting insight into how the course has changed just from what you can see and from what they talk about, which just on a by the way, Jeff, is there any talk about opening up the shoot on the 18th after what happened to Spieth last year? That's really gotten out of control, hasn't it, at Augusta yeah, on the 18th? it has. Uh, it's, you, mean the, you mean the hole or the discussion? Has, has there been any discussion, and, and do we know if there's possibility there's going no, to be any No, but what change? do you mean it's gotten? Out of control. Oh, the shoot off the 18th tee there that they hit through. Um, the, the I know. It was pretty. It's been pretty, pretty severe. The first time I went there, I was floored by oh. it. It's just, it's just now it's 40 yard. What is it, Clay? 60 yards. 60 longer? yards longer than 2000. <laughs> uh, it's just a different tree, but uh, it's always been kind of silly tight. Um, I mean, that branch hangs over, but gosh, it's. Ah, I, it's high up there. I, I, it's just such an awkward tee shot uh, because it, it really just does not lend itself to a draw or a fade. And I think that's why it's so difficult more than the overhanging mm. tree. Um, I don't, I've never, I don't know. I don't think of it as one, like I don't walk by and look at it and go, well, that's just got to go. I, oh, okay. It, it just, um, it's not great, but you can avoid, it's one, it's very avoidable. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. I, just, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't sure whether that might be the, the incident that triggered maybe some, some opening up of that. Cause well, yeah, it's, it's probably not long anyway. Uh, just, just, it's a very large old tree. I mean, it's, it's a, so, and it's been hit by a, <laughs> enough falls that it might just it might just fall off on its own um but yeah that'll be relived a lot this year uh going into this one and jordan i'm sure will just love, love being asked. <laughs> he, that's right he, he loves going over the bad shots at augusta doesn't he oh yeah 
yeah, yeah. It's just, just a joy. Poor, poor bugger. All right, that's enough. We've been going for far too long. Uh, Clates, yeah. fantastic to have you. But I will see you next Tuesday. I'll be down for the Vic Open. I don't get to stay for the whole week, unfortunately, but I'll see you down there. Looking forward to that. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Rod, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and Shaq, unfortunately, I won't see you down at the Vic Open. Hopefully, one no. year you get to come over for it. If it yeah. becomes what it could be, it would be great. But always fantastic to talk to you, and it has been again today. Thanks for that. All right. Thank you, Rod. And that's State of the Game, episode 89 in the books. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. We'll be back to do it all again in about a month's time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.